Welcome to the Sea Trade Cruise Talks podcast. My name is Chiara Georgi, and I am Sea Trade Cruises Global Brand Director. Today, we are exploring Asia's cruise renaissance as we get ready for the return of our Sea Trade Cruise Asia Pacific event, taking place in Hong Kong, October twenty fourth to twenty sixth. I'm honored to be joined today by Serena Bratton, Chairman Asia Pacific and Special Advisor at Gunan. Considered Australia's first lady of cruising, Serena has dominated luxury expedition cruising in the Asia Pacific region since creating market-leading Orion Expedition Cruises in 2005. Serena was the managing director and first female founder of a shipping line, Orion, Australia's only world-class five-star expedition cruise line, until finally stepping away from Orion in 2013. And soon after taking up her current role with Bonon, I have had the pleasure of knowing Serena for quite a few years, and I'm really excited to have her on the podcast today. Serena, welcome. Thank you, Kiara. Nice to hear your voice. Let's dive straight in. It has been a long four years since Sea Trade Cruise has been in the APAC region. Could you please shed some light into the diversity of markets that make up the region? Yes, and and I think diversity of markets is a really appropriate language for there because when you have a look at the different languages that we have right throughout the area, the different cuisine, the different lifestyles. You know, it is really a very large hotpot of multinational and different lifestyle and interests, and I think to that extent, that's where it provides some interesting challenges for us in the industry, trying to work our way through, or trying to understand where do we prioritize our efforts. From your perspective, can you point out a couple of those challenges or opportunities that come across? What we're seeing is obviously both China and Japan have come out of COVID very, very late. You know, when we look at this in comparison to Europe, which you know was probably the first area to emerge, followed by Americas and then Australia, and then you get Japan and China, and they're still actually coming out of COVID. Many of us don't understand just how far behind the rest of the world this has been. So that in itself creates a challenge. And the other thing that creates a challenge is that they're very, very proud people, and they never want to feel that any people would think adversely of their country or their nation, and so they're very conservative in the way that they would approach coming out of the market. One of the bigger challenges, and it's not just right now, but it's actually been over the years, is that there are very different. Booking conditions in most of the Asian markets, whereby in the Western markets we have fairly long lead times, and it means that we can actually plan and forecast quite accurately. However, the Asian markets are, are very short lead times. You know, in many cases they haven't got product in the marketplace till six to eight months before departure, so that creates Some challenges for cruise operators who are accustomed to long lead times. Yeah, I can I can imagine that, and I guess with you mentioned sort of China and Japan. I guess with the recent reopening of China to international travelers, 
Can you share some of the thoughts on that resurgence of that as a source market of China as a significant source market for cruise? Because we all know that pre-pandemic, there was a lot of attention on that. Obviously, we're working at the very high end of the market. Mm -hmm. And I can comment um, knowingly on that. But certainly our target is at the ultra high net worth individuals. And what we are seeing is some very, very good business coming out of China and whereby China used to be just purely charter business. We're seeing a lot of FIT business emerging out of the country. Mm-hmm. And that's excellent. And they're all looking for those, you know, once in a lifetime experiences that they can't buy anywhere else. So that's very encouraging for us. However, there's still a lot of work to be done and to get the confidence back into the market and into the distributors that they can resurrect their businesses because they're not um, different from the rest of the world where many of the distributors have had um, some difficult financial times. They're still now regrouping, trying to get their businesses back into action and generating some profits. It's going to take a bit of time, in my opinion. I don't believe we're going to see it right back in 24. I think it might even take till the end of 24, maybe even early 25. Interesting. And are you seeing any other regional source markets coming through from around the Asia-Pacific region? Yes, we've been quite encouraged, actually, by some of the Southeast Asian nations that are producing some reasonable business for us, as well as India. And and again, it's very different doing business in those countries than it is in Japan and China, which have always been the, the primary Asian markets. So the thing that we've done is that we've been very flexible in our approach to the markets, and we've worked with our distributors as well as we can to understand their challenges and how we can actually help them build their businesses again. So we're seeing some pretty good results coming out of new pockets of small countries that have got, again, these ultra-high net worth individuals. We have people on the ground in China, Japan, India, as well as obviously Australia and New Zealand. So we've got a reasonable team of people throughout Asia Pacific. And as you said, sort of Pernod is going after a different source market and a high net worth source market. So going further into what is small ship cruising, what is expedition cruising, what is the unique appeal to you in small ship cruising in the Asia Pacific region? If we're talking about those Asian nations, I mean, it's very much about telling the story to your friends and your family in somewhere that they haven't been. And that could be standing at the top of the world, at, you know, at the North Pole, right? It could be seeing polar bears. It could be down in Antarctica at some of the stations down there. So they're, they're very much looking for those style of experiences. And I think what works very favourably for our company as well is that, that they aspire to all things French. You know, they think, well, French wines, French champagne, French fashion, um, so therefore a French ship is actually, you know, 
good and sexy and and they're quite drawn to to our product so we're we sit in a sweet spot in that regard and as you said it's such a big part of the world with so many beautiful things to see and great stories to tell I'm sure you have seen uh, many beautiful places over your years working in the industry so what are some of your own stories that you can tell of some of the beautiful places and, and remote destinations that you've been to? Number one on my list has to be the Kimberley. <laughs> of course. I've been there, I think, 15 times now, <clears throat> and it never, ever, ever disappoints. Yeah. And it's, it's like when you go to Antarctica, the thing that strikes you is this, it's big country. Everything's big. Everything's on a huge, grand scale. And you're in this pristine, beautiful air. You try to transcribe that across to tropical environment, but ancient geological formations and and rivers and big, big escarpments. And you get a similar sense of this country is just so huge. The escarpments are so big. Mm -hmm. And to think that there's rock art that's carbon dated back some 15,000 years ago. It was when I first went there and I was sitting there up on an escarpment in a freshwater stream thinking about this and seeing this art and going, oh, my goodness, I really need to share this with as many people around the world as I can. And that's been one of my missions over the years and, and I'm happy to say that it's been a lot of people. So that is an exceptional experience. I think other exceptional experiences have been areas like Papua New Guinea, where you've got these ancient primitive cultures that are still intact. They haven't been spoiled by Western society. And, you know, and what we would do is we would go in and work with the, the elders of the villages and, and establish what are some of their needs? Because money doesn't mean anything to them. You know, they're that remote, you know. And so what we would find is that malaria could have been a problem for them. So we would supply mosquito nets. We would do all these things and work together with the, with the villagers in trying to make sure that their lifestyle was improved by our small-scale numbers that come ashore. That's really fulfilling. And our guests feel that as well. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I was trying to think of some experiences that I've had. I know the Kimberleys, I've heard many, many great things to this day, have not been there. But with what you were saying about Papua New Guinea, a few years back, I went to Myanmar pre-pandemic and went up the Irrawaddy River and some of the places we stopped there. It was a different experience. It was a very raw and real experience. And, and you could see how important certain things were to the local communities that we sort of take for granted. I think also, Kiara, what what is important is that it opens our eyes up to how happy and healthy these people are without any Western influences. And that to me is really an eye-opener. And it makes you just, you know, come back down to earth a little bit more and understand that some of the things that we have in our lives aren't actually necessary. Couldn't agree more. So that to me is very touching. Okay, so now looking at the future and the potential of cruise tourism sort of in, in the region, 
How do you think we can harness the sort of untapped potential of cruise tourism in Asia? There are times where we need to be nurturing tourism and nurturing people and helping them build their businesses. And I think it's very incumbent upon us as operators to understand that we do need to put time and effort and resource into doing that. But at the same time, that we need to have flexibility because, as I mentioned earlier, the conditions on when they book their lead times, etc., can actually play havoc with many of our businesses, particularly when we're running at very high demand. We're in a stage now of re-emerging and the whole industry, you know, coming out of the few years of shutdown. So not all of us are fully booked. So that's to me, a time where we can work with our colleagues in these various countries that have the shorter lead times and try and work with them and find acceptable business practices that work for both. Because oftentimes when we as an industry have been running at really high occupancies, you don't have that flexibility because you see that the demand's coming from elsewhere. And I think that's what personally drives the formation of more local cruise operators because they're establishing businesses that are aligned with their people's booking trends and travel trends. Yeah, I think the word flexibility, you've used it a couple of times. I think that my experience is the biggest thing that we've all learnt coming out of the shutdown, of the lockdown is to sort of really succeed moving forward. It's about being flexible and about how important that partnership is in really all working together, all the different partners to sort of move the industry forward. And I think it's really important as well, that partnership and the benefit of the industry is dispersed as broadly as possible through the visitor economies of each of the countries we visit. And that's where, obviously, a small operation like ours has a a real ability to disperse that benefit right throughout the visitor economy and just dealing with the local operators. So it's going to them directly. It's going to, you know, like you may have agreements with local fishermen on providing fresh fish to the vessel. So these sorts of things that whilst they seem small in their scale, and they are small in their scale, are really meaningful to those people. And so we're actually generating the benefit in a much broader sense. So I think whatever we do as an industry, we need to understand that. Unfortunately, some of that also then means that our costs are going to be higher. You know, everything that the industry has done when we've come out of COVID is, you know, the more sustainable practices, the things that we're doing, you know, the way that we're now looking at... um, at speeds and what the emissions are per every knot. And, you know, it's it's very responsible of the industry, but it doesn't lower your costs. It increases your costs in many ways when you're being so diligent. And that's a good thing, you know, and I think our industry has really stepped up to the mark and um, and is, is demonstrating a commitment in making sure that we're all focused on the sustainability and the end results that are good for the world. Yeah, I think everything you've just said is exactly the way Punan 
has always sort of positioned themselves where sustainability is is definitely at the forefront of what you guys do. And so it's great to hear that that's happening, obviously, in practice also in the Asia-Pacific region. Yeah, very much so. And and look, it's been such a, an exciting time. You know, I never thought I was going to, to work again when I sold my previous business. <laughs> and then I got asked by by Ponant, if I would come and help them establish an entity and a business in this region. And, you know, back then there was three ships and a blank sheet of paper. And now there's 14 ships and APAC represents 20% of the global revenues. So it's been um, quite a ride, an exciting ride, and one that hasn't stopped yet. No, it's, it's been wonderful to watch the growth of Ponant. So congratulations, especially on everything that you've been doing in the region. So one last question, what does the future hold for cruising in Asia-Pacific waters? I would like to see that we are able to expand the industry further. You know, we've got our bigger operators who are appealing to a certain market. Then we're going right through to the, the luxury side of things. And then we're going into the expedition and the boutique side of things as well. I'd really like to see that these nations embrace the industry for what it is and understand that the word cruise does not mean the same thing. You know, you can be a large port and you can absolutely attract and service those larger vessels, but you can be a small port, a small region, and get a similar scale of contribution as a major city. And that you just make those decisions to say, well, let me specialise in this and let me specialise in servicing this small, and it might be, they might start off with the boutique size, you know, 30 guests, something like that, and then grow to 150 guests to 300, you know, whatever it might be. But see the potential and understand that everybody's there trying to work cooperatively and collaboratively together for the same good result. I think cruise needs to be broken down into its various sectors a little bit more and for the stakeholders whom we deal with to understand that one size doesn't fit all and they don't have to be all things to all people. A hundred percent. I think that that is true all over the world. And if we can get closer to people understanding that, I think the future of cruising generally is extremely bright. Yes, very much so. And we've just got to be a little patient as well. All right. Well, Serena, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your insights and expertise. My pleasure, Chiara. And as I said, it's wonderful to talk to you again. Same. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who is listening for joining us on this exploration of Asia-Pacific cruising with Serena Bratton. For a deeper dive into the future of cruising in the Asia-Pacific region, please join us at Sea Trade Cruise Asia-Pacific, taking place in Hong Kong on October 24th to 26th. For more information on this event, please go to www.seatradecruiseevents.com forward slash Asia. Thank you again, Serena. Until next time. Thank you, Chiara.